Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing with our sermon series that we entitled Race and Religion, just taking a look once again at, at the difference that God gives us to make in this world and how we can use the love of Jesus to make a difference in people's lives. Today, as we take a look at the story of Jonah, we'll see Jonah implying this question of God about his plan to save the Ninevites, the Assyrians. You, you want to save who? And as we look at this negative example from Jonah, it gives us a chance to look at our own lives and again discover the blessing of God's universal grace. For those of you who are parents, I guess I gotta turn this on. There we go. For those of you who are parents, you know the amazing part of watching your children grow up. And for our students here today, God willing, you'll understand this blessing at some point. You get to see that your children take on a lot of your personality. Sometimes that's a good thing. You pass on personality traits that are positive, that are good, and you think, thank you, Lord. And sometimes it's not such a good thing. Sometimes you see in your children the same things that you did that caused you pain and frustration and you just want to say to your kids, don't do what I did. It's terribly frustrating because they have to make their own mistakes and figure it out for themselves, but you see so much of yourself in them that you just want to be able to help them. It's sort of what Jonah, the four chapters of Jonah are like. We're not sure who wrote the book of Jonah, though the personal nature of the four chapters really tell us that somebody had firsthand knowledge of what was happening. Maybe most likely it was Jonah who wrote. And if it was Jonah, then he's letting us in on a little bit of insight. He's giving us some insight into his own thought process. And really, in effect, he's saying to us, don't do what I did. We just got done reading chapter 3 where Jonah was given a second opportunity to go to Nineveh and when he did, there was this miraculous conversion of the people of Nineveh. Then chapter 4 tells us that Jonah wasn't too happy about that and we have to discover why, what was wrong with Jonah's attitude. So follow along as I read Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. This will serve as our sermon text today. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, 
It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of our Lord. Today, we'd like to take this implied question of Jonah, you want to save who, and use it as our sermon theme. And as we take a look at Jonah's attitude, maybe a, a, an honest reflection of our own hearts and lives reminds us that there are times that we also set limits to God's grace. But we can rejoice once again because God shows concern for all people, and that includes each one of us. I'd like to back up just a little bit to the first two chapters of Jonah, probably the more familiar parts of the book of Jonah. The call, God's call came to Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, the, the, the city in Assyria, and their wickedness had become very known, not just to God, but around the world. And maybe we think, why didn't Jonah go? Did he not go because he was afraid of the Ninevites and he was afraid of what they might do to him? We're not told, but we are told how Jonah reacted. He went in the opposite direction. You remember that Jonah actually got on a boat, a ship, and set sail on the Mediterranean in the exact opposite way that God had called him to go to Assyria? And while he was on the Mediterranean Sea, this big storm came up, and Jonah knew that it was God calling to him to repentance. He actually urged the sailors on the ship to throw him overboard to stop the storm, and that's exactly what happened. And there's Jonah sinking to the bottom of the sea, and then God provided again a big fish. This is the part of the Jonah that most people remember, right? Jonah being swallowed by the big fish. He lived inside of that fish for three days, and then the fish vomited him, vomited him back onto dry land, we're told. And that's when the events of chapter 3 begin. God's call came to Jonah a second time. God gave Jonah a second chance. After he had saved him from drowning, he gave him a second chance to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. And when he did, we read it before, what a miracle. This wicked city, 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, many Bible commentators believe that that's talking about children. And if there's 120,000 children in Nineveh, are we talking a city of about a half a million or more? God's concern for that city was apparent. He sent Jonah to preach and their wickedness, they recognized it. God brought them to repentance. He made them see their sins and in a miraculous conversion, they repented. They put on sackcloth, they fasted, they prayed that God would relent from sending calamity. And how did Jonah react? You might think, right, that, that the Jonah, this prophet of God who goes and speaks a pretty simple message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned, would rejoice. There would be rejoicing that the people of Nineveh had repented. But that's not how Jonah reacted, is it? Jonah thought it was wrong. It seemed wrong to him what God had done. He wasn't at all happy about what had happened. As a matter of fact, he was so frustrated with God that he wanted to die. Why? Well, it becomes apparent that Jonah wasn't afraid to go to, the, to Nineveh. He wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. He was afraid that God would actually save them. 
It's not hard to understand what Jonah's doing, is it? He's limiting God's grace. He's looking at the people of Nineveh, these foreign people, people of a different race, a different culture than his own, and he said, well, there's no way that, that God's grace should be for them and their wickedness. He didn't believe that they were deserving to be saved by God. After all, they were the enemy of the Israelites. In a few short years, about 50 years after this, it was the Assyrians who were going to come into Israel and carry them off into captivity. And Jonah thought, do you want to save who? God, this is who you want to save? It's easy, isn't it, to be critical of Jonah? To look at him and say, really, Jonah? You couldn't even be happy when God's power, his grace, worked powerfully in people's hearts? We would never do that, right? Not us. Well, think about this for a minute. Are, those, are there people that we have in our lives that frustrate us? Maybe get on our nerves a little bit? People that we look at and say, well, they're kind of a lost cause, aren't they? Or, or maybe it has to do a little bit more with the way people live, their upbringing, their culture, their skin color, their background, that makes us think, oh, maybe, maybe they won't listen to the message of God and his word. If we've ever had that attitude, we're just like Jonah. We've committed the same sin that Jonah has by prejudging people, thinking that somehow God's grace is good for some, but not for others. As we reconsider that, as we examine our own hearts, you see where that comes from, right? We have this idea that somehow we are okay, we're deserving of God's grace, but, but, but other people aren't. God's grace is not earned. It's not something that I can do anything to receive. It, it comes to me as a gift from God. I'm no better than anyone else. I'm, I have no reason to say about to, or, or to someone else, well, God's grace isn't for you. And that's exactly what Jonah was doing. We know how easy this, easily this happens, don't we? We're pretty good at seeing the faults in others without recognizing our own faults, right? We're, we arrogantly think about how bad someone else is while we forget our own sins and shortcomings. You might remember that Jesus once talked about that kind of self-righteous judging. He talked about it in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, and he used a pretty striking picture. I tried to find a picture that reflected it on the screen. This is what Jesus said. Why do you try and take the speck of sawdust out of your neighbor's eye when the whole time there's a plank in your own eye? What a picture, huh? I'm trying to take a speck out of somebody else's eye and I got this big board sticking out of my own. You understand what Jesus is saying, right? That we don't have the right to judge others to make ourselves feel better. Self-righteousness is not what gets us to heaven. Me making myself feel better by putting others down doesn't do me any good. What Jesus wants us to realize is that his grace covers my sins and the sins of all people. And then to take that message and, and spread it and share it with others. See, this is the lesson that he wanted to teach Jonah in chapter 4 as well. But he does so in a really unique way. He gives Jonah an object lesson through a vine. There's Jonah sitting outside of the city, maybe even waiting to see if God's destruction was still going to come on the people of Nineveh. And as he waits, he's sitting out in the heat. So he builds himself a little shelter and then God permits this vine, this leafy plant to grow up overnight and give shade to Jonah's head. 
I don't know if you've ever visited the Middle East or if you had a friend or a relative who maybe served in the middle, military in the Middle East, but do you know what an average temperature is on a day in the Middle East? Well over 100 degrees. Matter of fact, I actually looked this morning to see what the temperature in Iraq was this morning. 115. It's hot. And it's sunny. And it's easy to feel faint. And Jonah loved that plant because it gave him the relief that he needed. But then, God provided a worm. And that worm chewed through the plant and the plant withered and died. And Jonah was so angry that he was willing to die. What God recognized that Jonah needed was more than just a plant. There was a spiritual battle going on inside of Jonah. And God recognized Jonah's despair. The seeds of self-righteousness had been planted in Jonah's heart. And God wanted to uproot those things. That growth needed to be taken out of Jonah's heart. And he does so by demonstrating to Jonah the importance of a vine versus the importance of people. Jonah, you're concerned about a vine. You didn't do anything. You didn't tend it. You didn't make it come up. You didn't do anything and you're frustrated that it's dead, but you're not concerned about the people, the people in the city of Nineveh. God says, that's my concern. All of these people in Nineveh who need to know the truth of the gospel, don't I have the right to be concerned about them? That was God's question for Jonah. Shouldn't I be concerned? Did Jonah get it? Do we think he understood what God was trying to say? Again, if Jonah's the one who wrote this, it almost seems that he ends the book with God's question for you and for me. Jonah knew what the answer was. Shouldn't I be concerned about that great city? Of course, God should be concerned. But he leaves the question hanging there so that you and I can think about it for ourselves. Yes, that's our lesson from this section of the book of Jonah as well. Our lesson is to remember that that same self-righteousness, that same self-centeredness that lives, lived in Jonah lives in each one of us. And it causes us to think. It causes us to act. It causes us to treat other people in ways that are not God-pleasing. But along with remembering, when we examine our hearts that we fall short of the glory of God, we also remember that concern that God expressed for the people of Assyria of Nineveh, that concern that God had for Jonah is concern that he has for us too. And the grace of God covers all of our sins. As God gave shade and relief to Jonah by a vine, he gives something even greater to you and to me. He gives us relief, joy, and refreshment from sin. We're forgiven completely. Yes, there are some miracles in the book of Jonah, the, the great fish, the vine, the conversion, but that's a miracle that you and I can appreciate too. That God has taken our stony hearts and changed them to hearts of faith through his gospel. God did this by sending Jesus to take our place. His own son he offered up to give up his life as a payment for your sins and mine so that we stand before God holy and blameless. God's concern for all is concern for you. God extends that concern to you through his message that he loved the world and gave his only son. And then he wants that love to extend through us to others. The more that love fills our hearts, the more we're connected to God through and his grace through his word, the more easily we reflect that grace in the way that we think and the way that we talk and interact with others.
The Apostle John actually talked about this very thing in his first epistle in chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, how it's God's love that comes to us first and then our love that affects others. Take a look at what he said. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Some takeaways from our sermon today. First of all, number one, we strive to avoid judging others in a self-righteous manner. It's easy to do. Not sure why I can, I'm so good at seeing around the plank in my own eye to pick a speck of sawdust out of someone else's. But when I remember my shortcomings, I also remember that God's grace covers my sin too. That's number two. All sins of all people, including ours, have been forgiven through Jesus. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then finally, number three, we want all people to know the saving message of the gospel because that's what God wants. God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I'm going to give you an assignment this morning. And if you struggle a little bit with this assignment, feel free to Google friends who need Jesus and you can find this little handy chart that you can print out and you can write on if you'd like. But here's your assignment. I'd like you to identify. Identify someone in your life. Maybe, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's somebody you work with, somebody you live close to, maybe they share the dorm with you or uh, an apartment or whatever. I want you to think about a person that you've thought to yourself before. I'm not sure that person will listen to what God says in his word. I'm not sure that that person really wants to hear what God says. Here's your assignment. Pray. Pray for that person. Pray that God would open their eyes, open their heart, and bring that gospel message, that saving message of God's truth to them. But there's one more step, too. You can pray that God gives you, you the opportunity to be the one that brings that gospel to them. God does want all people to be saved, everyone, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Jonah's question, you want to save who, is a question we can turn around and say to God, who do you want to save? And how can I be a part of who you want to save? Because we know the answer. Who does God want to save? It's us. It's you, and it's me, and it's everyone. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.